2: This is a podcast from the Smart Material Collective, made by nerds, funded by the listeners. Is hair a material? Our biscuits a material? Are crystals a material?
3: Is plastic a material?
2: Is porridge a material? Can gases be a material? Our eggs a material? Is water a material?
3: What do you call everything that isn't a material?
4: <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at your question.
3: And yet you continue to do so. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Real Talk, the materials podcast that puts the spotlight on the materials known and loved by artists, makers, movers and shakers. This episode, I'm joined by maker, software engineer and roboticist Richard Sewell to talk about titanium. Richard came to spend the whole day with me at the Institute of Making, where he took me through the process of turning a piece of sheet titanium into a spork. We then headed up to the usual recording studio for this conversation, which started with the origin story of Richard's sporks.
2: So once, long, long ago, I made myself a titanium spork. I had some sheet titanium, which I bought from a nice man who had some scrap from Airbus, and I just kind of wanted to try it. And I wanted to try a technique I'd seen in a, a medieval armour technique book. Cool. And. Lots of questions about that players. book, but
4: anyway. Anyway, it's a good book. You should get it.
2: Uh, the Techniques of Medieval Armour Reconstruction. It awesome. contains many fabulous sheet metal techniques. Um, so I made it, and it was good, and I used it to, you know, eat mushy peas with when I was having chips and things like that. Uh, a friend of mine in Bristol Hackspace saw it and said, I want one of those. I want to make one. So I took a few tools down, and he made one, and he also ate his mushy peas with it. That was fine. And then he lost it. So then we were going to uh, EMF camp, which is a kind of big outdoor technology camp thing. And he said, I've lost my sport. I want to make another one. Can you bring the stuff? So I took the stuff. And it doesn't need very much. You need about five tools. Uh, so we were sitting there on a hay bale in a field in the middle of summer, making his sport because he just wanted one. And people kept sort of wandering by and going, what are you doing? Could I try that? Can I have a go? um we spent the whole afternoon doing it people made little camping sporks and spatulas and you know, all kinds of things uh, and I realized that quite by accident it was quite an effective introduction to sheet metal working workshop there aren't very many techniques you end up with a thing which especially if you're camping you kind of want it, pretty much anyone can do it and have it work it doesn't require any sort of enormous feat of, of coordination or something to do it uh, and at the end of it you could go and make loads of other things with the same techniques so he made his fork, his spork and a, a bunch of other people made things and I realised it was a workshop that I could do at other camps of a similar nature so since then I've done it maybe ten times I, I forgot to stop once at a camp in Holland and we went on for about eight hours <laughs> until I ran out of titanium um, but Everybody made one, always worked. They all seem pleased. It's great fun to do. It's great fun to see people go and make a thing that they don't really have any idea if they can make or how to make and then come away holding their thing and, and go off to eat their dinner with it.
4: So on that note then, we've spent all day, <laughs> you and I, making a spork. <laughs> one single spork. Not all
2: day. <laughs>
4: well, no. Quite a large part of the day. Yeah.
2: <laughs> maybe, maybe three hours.
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, and here we have in the studio, the finished spork, pretty much. It's going to be polished, but apart from that. So let's take the listeners through the process of making this spork.
2: Okay. So first you design it. So literally draw it on a piece of cardboard. Usually people want them symmetrical, so they draw on a piece of cardboard and fold it in half and cut it out. You put that on a piece of sheet titanium, you draw around it with a Sharpie, and you cut it out with tin snips. Tin snips are just really sturdy scissors really Uh, they cut sheet metal in the way you'd cut cardboard cut round it and then you've got a spork shaped flat piece of metal at that point it's a bit scratchy on the edges so you have to file the edges to a nice curve file the sharp bits off um, just make it so it's not too sharp to put in your mouth really you uh, have to remove the oxide from it so titanium when you buy it always has an oxide film titanium is very reactive, it loves having an oxide film so you want to remove that as, as best you can, which means you go over it with a abrasive block, um, a Garyflex block is what I use, which is a kind of rubbery, gritty block, like an industrial pencil rubber. And you do that till the oxide's gone. You smooth the edges down with a bit of abrasive paper, a bit of wet and dry paper, and uh, then you polish it. So now you have a flat, shiny, spork-shaped thing. All that work is quite boring, but it takes a couple of hours. Then you have to put some shape in it, which is much more fun. So uh, there are really two processes you do. One is to put some stretch in, and the other is to tidy up afterwards. So putting stretch in involves a wooden block with a hole drilled in it uh, and a ball-peen hammer, so a hammer with a ball-shaped end, which you've polished, so that's shiny. And you put the piece of metal over the hole in the wood, and then you hit it with a hammer. And then that makes a little dent, and then you move it a bit, and then you hit it again. And you just put in lots of dents. In, uh, when you do that enough, you have a bowl. It's not a very tidy bowl, but that's fine. What you've done is made the stretch and uh, you put in as much stretch as you need. The next phase sort of rearranges it. So you do that to the spoon end. You turn it over do it to the fork end. Then you planish. So planishing is uh, literally just whacking it. <laughs> I love these little times. <laughs> <laughs> with a shiny hammer. So you have a stake. A stake is a, a ball bearing, maybe a 30 millimeter ball bearing, welded to a stick so you can clamp it in a vise. You put the spork on the stake. You hit it with a shiny hammer. That makes you one tiny little flat bit, like two or three millimetres across, and then you move the spork two millimetres, and then you do it again. So every time you do that, you get a tiny little circle, and you do those next to each other, in a row, and then you do another row, and you keep doing that until the entire thing is covered in those little flat dents. Because that has sort of averaged out the shape with the shape of the stake, all the stretch that you made in the doming when you hit it into the wooden block has been rearranged uh, so it's now a far more even curve um, and is hopefully the curve that you first thought of when you started the day. Um, and the whole surface is covered in these little tiny polished dents. So each dent is a is a picture of the hammer. Right? The hammer is much harder than the titanium, and the hammer is polished. So at this point, the titanium is polished. If you started with a hammer with a dent in it or a scratch, by now you have put like 500 copies of that dent or scratch all over your spork, so don't do that. Uh, if you do this in a field, as I often have, then then clean the hammer before you do this. Otherwise, <laughs> you've got field grit uh, printed all over your spork. Um, y- you can use that to decorative effect if if you're careful, but you probably don't want it for this. <laughs> so that's that's the the time when it really starts to look like the finished thing. Uh, the only remaining thing is um, because it's a flat thing uh, at the join between the curve of the bowl and the curve of the fork. Which, which are going in opposite directions, there's a little flat bit in the handle which would like to bend, like the hinge. Uh, so we put a couple of grooves in uh, along the length of the handle just to give it a bit of, of stiffness. Uh, and you do that by putting the thing on a rubber block. Uh, you have a punch, which is literally a, a cold chisel from Wilco's with the end ground smooth. Uh, and you just work your way along a line, tapping it, uh, making a little a little ridge and that stiffens the middle of it to make a handle and it's done and then it's mushy peas time then it's mushy peas <laughs> yeah that's it brilliant well i'm
4: absolutely delighted with my spork as we were walking to the studio you said you look very pleased with yourself i'm like, very pleased with myself i have a wonderful spork and yeah i didn't know any of these metalworking techniques before we started so i've learned a lot today excellent So this material then that we're talking about is titanium. We've already mentioned that when it's as thin as this, it can be quite flexible and obviously workable with not much strength, you know, the strength of a human body. Um, So, well, firstly, what is titanium?
2: It's it's a metal. I guess it's probably most like aluminium. Uh, So it is uh, ductile. It loves to oxidise. Like aluminium, it makes an oxide coating that stops the oxygen getting to it, so it stops oxidising, which is why it is so inert in everyday use. People use it for all kinds of high-tech things because it has a really good strength-to-weight ratio. It's not super strong. It sort of has a reputation for amazing strength, but it really doesn't have amazing strength. What it has is amazing strength to weight. Mm. So if you're making aeroplanes, it's fabulous. Uh, if you're making sporks, that's not really important, although clearly if you're going camping... It feels like it's important to save the last gram. I don't know if it makes much difference, really. (laughs) But it is usually used either pure or as an alloy, uh, which makes it stiffer. There are many technical alloys and technical heat treats uh, which have nothing to do with sporks.
4: I guess this is pure titanium because it's so malleable. Is that right?
2: I think it probably is, although I did buy it scrap and the grade was not written on it.
4: Oh, okay, Mystery.
2: Not completely sure. It might have a bit of chromium and vanadium in.
4: Okay, well, neither of those or are poisonous. Yeah. Probably. I don't actually know. I'm sure it's I, fine. I, it's
2: not poisonous. <laughs> it's, very, it's very inert. Um, people use it for things like hip implants mm. because it's very inert. Um, body piercing jewellery is sometimes made of it. Um, regular jewellery is sometimes made of it because you can make it go amazing colours by anodizing or heating. And it's also nice to work with. It's ductile enough that you can do all these kind of cold processes with it, and it comes out nice. Um, it responds nicely to filing and polishing and abrasives. It stays shiny. The first pork I made from it, I don't know, 10 years ago, it's still basically as shiny as the day I made it. Nice. Uh, my wedding ring is not quite as shiny as the day I made it, <laughs> but that gets a harder life. Yeah, it's very satisfying to work with. It's not terribly expensive unless you buy it in really big bits just nice it is inflammable i I don't think this is a real hazard for us but but uh in principle you can set light to it okay and if you do set light to it you basically can't put it out it's so fond of oxygen oh yeah of course If you give it water it will take the oxygen from it and give you back the hydrogen
4: oh god and then (laughs) you've got a burning flame next to hydrogen (laughs) and
2: oxygen (laughs) yeah i I don't think it's a real hazard in practice it's probably a hazard if you make fighter planes out of it because they're full of things mm. that are on fire anyway. But, you know, you, yeah. can't, you can't light it with a match. It's not like magnesium or something. Because
4: of this protective layer, I guess.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your borough purchase at burrowcom slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrowcom slash ACAST.
4: Are there any other difficulties surrounding the material?
2: If, if, you, if you wanted to forge it hot, if you wanted to do blacksmithing with it, Um, In some ways, it's very good for that because it suddenly goes soft when it gets to a kind of red heat and it goes very soft. Uh. So it goes softer than mild steel does and it does it very quickly. Um, It loves to oxidize when it's that hot. So it develops a lot of white scale that you have to grind off afterwards. Mm. Uh, And if you forge it for too long, it goes extremely hard and brittle which I think is probably something to do with chemistry, but I don't know. I'd have to ask a material scientist about that.
4: Who is <laughs> currently racking her brains. <laughs> um, tell me again how it, what happens before that point.
2: Uh, so so if, you're, if you're forging it yeah. and, and you keep reworking it, so you, you, t- you get it hot, you hammer it, you put it back in the forge, you heat it up, you hammer it some more. If you keep doing that, then it will just get harder and harder. Mm. until you really can't work it anymore.
4: So you're hot working it, basically. Yeah. I would think that that would be to do with just putting more and more and more kind of stresses into the crystalline structure.
2: Maybe, although it's hot enough, I would have thought it would. That it's sort of
4: annealing uh, as well. Yeah. Mm. Well, the mechanisms that make it hard would either be stresses in the crystalline structure or inclusions So like with with steel, for example, you can make the surface of steel really hard if you bake it next to carbon and all the carbon infiltrates into the structure and forms these little hard kind of blobs of carbon. So I wonder whether maybe carbon is getting into the structure somehow?
2: It it could be carbon. I mean, there's carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen. They're all floating about in the forge and it's really hot. So all that diffusion will happen quickly. Maybe it's that then. I don't know.
4: Titanium loves forming ceramics with lots of different things. Titanium carbide is a great example—really, really, really hard ceramic. And I guess because it's so reactive, maybe if you just keep keep it hot and keep working it, then you're just getting all these other elements inside it that is making it kind of yeah. hard and brittle.
2: Yeah, it's annoyingly expensive to buy if you buy big bits because it always comes with nice paperwork and traceability and certificates in case you make an aeroplane from it because. The- person that sells you the titanium doesn't want to get sued. So if you just want to hit it with a hammer, you don't really care about that, but you still have to pay for it. That's that's kind of a downside.
4: Unless you buy it scrap.
2: Unless you can buy it scrap.
4: So you said you bought it scrap from Airbus. Does that mean that it's used in a lot of aeroplanes?
2: Yes. I bought it scrap from a man who bought his scrap from Airbus. Okay, right. I I, I don't know where Airbus sell it now, but he can't get it anymore. Oh. I, I wish they'd sell it to him because then I could have some. Um, But yes, yeah, so aeroplanes are made from it because of strength to weight ratio. Um and uh i mean technical stuff is made from it mountain bikes are made from it because it's light and strong and because people who buy mountain bikes like technical things mm. which is fair enough i like technical things mm-hmm. not judging
4: <laughs> and also things like tennis rackets golf clubs sort of high end sporting goods i guess like you say yeah. bicycles that kind of thing yeah people with money that want materials to help them be better sports people
2: <laughs> yeah yes and, and camping stuff is made from it for lightness, you know. Yeah, you build titanium yeah. kettles and saucepans and bugs mm. and things. Yeah.
4: So surprisingly, for a material that is kind of so ubiquitous in our lives, titanium is one of the youngest metals that we regularly use. Um, it was actually not... Well, it was first isolated in 1910, which is really surprisingly recent. Yeah. <laughs> Less, just over 100 years old. Yeah. Um, and actually it was only really industrialised, the process of extracting it was only really industrialised in 1940. Yeah. So we really haven't had titanium around for very
2: long, which I think is quite surprising. Yeah, that does seem weird. Because yeah. there's a lot of it. I mean, I mean, titanium oxide is everywhere. You know, all this white paint in here is full of titanium oxide magazines are full of titanium oxide. There's no shortage of it. Mm-hmm. It's just turning it into metal.
4: Yeah. So funny you should mention titanium dioxide. 95% of all titanium ore is destined not for titanium, but for titanium dioxide. And it's for all the things that you just mentioned. Really? White paint, um, coating on paper, toothpaste, um, plastics, sunscreens, everything, basically titanium dioxide is really, like a really brilliant white pigment. And so yeah. basically anything that you see around you that is coloured white, not, not in itself, but it's coloured white, is titanium dioxide.
2: So that seems like a waste.
4: Of it titanium? Could, why,
2: it could be so nice. And it's, <laughs> it's just true. making, you know, white plastic trunking.
4: Yeah, I know, it's true, that is true. So apart from the processes that you've described today, how to make a spork, are there any other cool making processes that you can do with titanium?
2: Yes, so um, my other favourite is heat colouring. So uh, the oxide layer will give you lovely colours, uh, which I think are probably diffraction colours, which vary with its thickness. And so there are two ways people do this, uh, usually in jewellery applications. Uh, one is to anodize it, and uh, you literally you stick it in a tank of, I don't know, Coca-Cola will do. <laughs> uh, anything moderately ionic, I yeah. think. Uh, and you put a voltage across it, and you get a colour and the colour depends on the voltage. Uh, I think you need a sort of 60 to 100 volts Whoa, for okay. a, a range of colours. But they are extremely vibrant colours. Mm. Uh, like They come out quite consistently. Um, I don't usually do that. But a thing that I have done a lot of is colouring it with heat. So that gives you less vibrant but in some ways more interesting colours where the colour is really controlled by the temperature.
1: Mm, okay. So,
2: You literally, you heat it up with a blowtorch, quite gently. Nice. And watch the colour appear, and there's a predictable sequence of colours which it will work through.
4: And what's that? Where does it start and how does it end? Uh,
2: I'll show you. You have to do it, yeah, Uh, okay. You you, you have to do it. Plus, I I don't exactly remember, but it's it's like a sort of yellowish, brownish, uh, then a, a serious purple, royal blue, and then it sort of fades out a bit. If you try hard, there's a sort of amazing petrol blue somewhere in there, which I don't really know how to get to repeatedly. Um, and if you keep heating it, you can have the same colours again, but with less saturation. Oh, OK. As as it goes through the same set of of wavelengths, uh, I think. Ah, OK. But, uh, but doing it at sort of one and a half wavelength instead of half wavelength. Mm. Something like that.
4: Interesting.
2: Um and because you're doing it with heat rather than anodizing, you can, you can graduate it across a surface.
4: So one end of your thing could be one colour and the other end another colour? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, That's awesome. OK, well, listeners, let's try this before the day is out and I'll <laughs> make a video of it and it'll go on the website because that sounds wicked. <laughs> and let me think, are there any other metals that you can colour in this way? Because aluminium is anodized.
2: Aluminium is anodized in a very boring way. In a
4: very boring way, and actually, all you do when you anodize it is to put little holes into the surface of aluminium, and so to make it colourful, you then have to fill those holes with dye. Yes. So I don't, I don't think it's the colour of the material itself.
2: No, that is no fun. Um, <laughs> you can do it with steel. I mean, if you blue steel with heat,
4: yes, true. It's a
2: very similar thing. The colours aren't nearly so good, but mm. you can basically have brown or kind of dark blue. And sometimes you can't even have dark blue if you're not good at it. <laughs> um, there are lots of other gun bluing techniques that make the same kind of oxide films, but with uh, extra chemicals, and those are you know used for anti-corrosion prevention and stuff. Mm. Um, the colours aren't so lovely. Um, I don't know of any other metals you do this to really. If you, you can get amazing colours on copper, but they don't last very long because the copper just keeps o- oxidising.
4: Oh, interesting. So
2: it just goes brown later that day or a week right. after. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can briefly have, have good-looking copper.
4: Yeah. <laughs> but these colours on titanium last... Forever. Amazing. I love yeah. it. Um, so if people have been interested in hearing about our making today, the tools that we used were very widely available, you know. Um Is this something that people can try themselves, do you think?
2: Yeah, it's very easy. I mean, yes, you need a few tools which are cheap. Uh, You need to be able to make them a bit shiny if you want the product to be shiny, but, you know, that's kind of optional. Um, You could do the same thing on uh, other metals if you want. So the processes that we use to make the spork would work identically on thin stainless steel if it's not too hard. Uh, They'd work on aluminium if you want aluminium spork. Um, They'd work on brass and copper, although those might be weird to eat with. Mm. Um, But, yeah, you should just try it. Like the very worst that can happen is that you throw it away and never tell anyone you tried. (laughs) And even then, you will have learned something from it.
4: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, So if people have enjoyed hearing from you and your making, do you have a website that you would like to share or Twitter
2: or...? Yes, uh, I have a website, uh, jockman.co.uk, J-A-R-K-M-A-N. It has pictures of many things I've made and a few of them, it even has some stuff about how I made it.
4: Awesome.
3: Well, thank you for coming on Real Talk.
2: You're welcome. It's been a pleasure.
3: And thanks for showing me how to make a spork. (laughs) So that was the fantastic Richard Sewell. Thanks so much to him for coming on the show and also for a brilliant day of hitting things and blowtorches. You can see photos from our making session over on the Real Talk website at www.realtalk.com. Follow us on Twitter for all the latest materials, bants, and do like and subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast provider. So until next time, I'll be the one sitting in a field eating baked beans with a shiny and surprisingly lightweight spork And see you in two weeks for another episode of Real Talk.
0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.